0: We're going to start out in Luke chapter 14, and I just kind of want to, over these next four weeks, I just really want to lay some things out unfiltered, not trying to be controversial, not trying to be mean or anything, but you know what, I don't feel like wasting my time sugarcoating things and just kind of giving you all uh, watered-down truths and things. We're, right, we're just going to give it to you straight, we're going to you know, take your medicine like a man, just swallow it, some of it might not taste real good, but y'all need it, it's good for you, okay, so let's just... Uh, uh, Let me make fun of people who get offended easy right now, and uh, that way you don't get offended, and just uh, take it. It might not be too rough this week, but over the next weeks, it might get a little rougher, all right? So anyway, I guess I'm I'm kind of tired of people wanting me to solve problems, you know, that, you know, at the same time where they don't want to hear solutions. It's like, you know, these solutions, you really need to hear it. It will help you. All these little things that everybody thinks is so nitpicky – they're what prevent these bigger problems. So, you know what? I'm just going to hit you with the nitpicky stuff. And maybe, because I, I, I believe it will prevent bigger problems. So let's look at Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it, begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth, whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him, with twenty thousand or else with the other is it yet a great way off. He sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now here in this passage, Jesus is letting people know that if you are going to be a disciple of mine, you need to consider the cost first. And he gives some comparison. He says nobody just goes and builds a tower without sitting down first and saying, all right, what's it going to take to get this done? You don't just go, you know, building a tower is a good thing, but you can't just say, you know what, I'm just going to go build a tower and then just go do it. There's some planning, there's some preparation, and you know what, sometimes you have to admit maybe this isn't something I'm able to do. If I wanted to go build a tower right now, probably wouldn't go real well, especially if I just, right now, I'm going to go right now and start to build a tower. I don't really know what all goes into that. I'm pretty sure I don't have the money to make it happen. And I could go and I could start something, but if I can't finish it, I'm going to look like an idiot. And there's a church that I drive by sometimes. We go to Rockford. This church built—they started building this huge building, and they've got the frame and everything all up, and it's just been sitting there like that for years now. They started, they couldn't finish it. Same thing in Lasalle, where I'm from. There's a church. The metal frame has been up for well over 20 years now, probably close to 30 years, and that metal frame has just been sitting there, and it's just kind of a joke. Uh, they started it, they never—they were never able to finish it. And so same thing, too, if you're going to go to war, you don't just say, hey, let's go to war. You've got to make a plan first. You've got to say, "Are we? do we even have what it's going to take to put a stop to these people? Or should we maybe consider terms of peace right here? And so when it comes to anything big in life, anything really important, you've got to have a plan and you've got to consider the cost. And what I want to talk about today is the cost of a Christian home. A lot of people are saying, I want to have a Christian home. They're making that decision. That's a great decision. But then when it comes to trying to make it happen, they're just kind of shooting from the hip. They're just kind of winging it. And I'm here today to tell you that's not going to work. That if you're going to do have a Christian home, if you want the benefits that come with a Christian home, if you want to do all the things that is required of somebody who has a Christian home, then you need to understand there's a price that you're going to have to pay, and are you prepared to do it? And there's a lot of things that people are saying that they want for their families that are good. These are noble causes. This is wonderful. I, I like that we have a lot of large families in the church. You know what? I'm all for having a lot of kids. I have eight kids, but guess what? You got you better have some a plan put together if you're going to have a big family. You, you just And I'm telling you, people don't have a plan. They're just kind of winging it, shooting from the hip. That is not going to work. And so verse 26, Jesus makes it very clear when he talks about hating father and mother and wife and children. We all know God doesn't want to like us to hate our family like we have a disdain for them. But I believe what he's doing here is showing how they come second. He comes first. It's about loving. To love something less is often considered hating in the Bible. And we should we should love our families, but we should love them less than we love God. He should come first, and that's part of being a, a disciple, and that's not an easy thing. And so uh, in verse 27, he shows it will be work to be his disciple, and you will be expected to do that work. And so he gives those illustrations and makes it clear there's just some things you are not going to successfully accomplish on accidents. There's some things that require careful planning, and I do, I believe we can apply this principle to having a family. Chances are you are not going to have a good family by accident. If you're going to have a good family, it's going to be on purpose. It's going to be with a great deal of work and a lot of challenges, and there's going to be some cost to it. And I believe it's important that people sit down and count the cost of having a Christian family, because uh, a lot of people are starting, but they're not finishing. I see a lot of people, they are hardcore. I mean, they are so strict while they have little kids but then all of a sudden they have teenagers and then everything changes. Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because you didn't have a plan for when they became teenagers. And I've been around this thing long enough. I I figured out a long time ago, you don't raise a good family just by being strict and having super harsh rules and spanking the fire out of your kids. At some point, they are going to have a will of their own and they're going to be able to make choices. And so I learned a long time ago, my kids are going to have to want to do the right thing. If my kids are going to turn out right, if they're going to continue walking in a path that I've been trying to lead them on, they're going to have to want to do it. And I'm going to have to figure out how to get their heart. And a lot of parents aren't trying, they're not, they're not doing that. But, but, you know, these, these have been things kind of in my mind for a long time, since, since my kids were little. And the thing is. You know, and, and I've seen this too over the years. Some of the preachers who just preached the hardest when it came to child discipline, when it came to rules and standards and all these things, these people never last, and they they're they're never in it for the long haul, and they eventually just completely fizzle out, go liberal, whatever, every time. And I just I didn't want that because you know what? It's a shame. It's an embarrassment, and it's like that person who started to build a tower and they couldn't finish it, and you did. You started out to be that hardcore IMV family, but then all of a sudden your kids got to a certain age and you just you gave up. You you quit. It all it all fell apart. And so during this month, I want to help everyone make plans for building a good house. And so let me explain briefly the kind of house that I'm trying to build. There's a house, the kind of house I want to build. First off, I want to build a house that when it is finished. I still have my original wife. Okay. That's what I really want. Okay. Now, sometimes spouses die. Okay. Sometimes spouses die. If that happens, you know there's nothing you can do about that. But I want the original wife. Okay. So it's not about you just getting married and having kids. You need to maintain that marriage. You need to keep that marriage. So that's important. I, I want I want original parts. I guess you could say. Uh, in this house, I, I want the original wife. I, I want a big house. I, I've i always wanted a big house, uh, meaning lots of kids and lots of grandkids. I'm kind of hoping, too, I eventually see some great-grandkids. That, you know, that That's a plan of mine. I want a big, beautiful home. Okay, Not one that just looks good, but I want all the things in the house working properly. Okay. Now, if you went to my uh, physical house that I live in, you find a lot of stuff that doesn't work exactly right. A lot of it just because I've been too cheap to get it fixed, too lazy to get it fixed, or didn't know what I was doing when I tried to get it fixed. Okay. There's a lot of things that don't work right, but I'm not talking about the building that I live in. I'm talking about my family. I want it to be a functional home. A lot of people, they, they, they're having a bunch of kids. They got large numbers of people in their family, but it's totally dysfunctional. I don't want to be spending my time going to court, you know, seeing how long my boys are getting sentenced to prison. I don't want to be going and watching my daughters in divorce court, things like that. That's not what I want. I want a functioning home. I I want a place where there's happiness and joy. Uh, I want a home that will be a model home that that all my kids are going to want to reproduce. Now, it's not going to look exactly like mine, but it should have a lot of similarities. I'm hoping it has that. You know, I want I want my house and I want all houses that come from my house to be Christian homes. These are these are goals of mine. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the cost of a Christian home, and more specifically, I want to show people what they are getting themselves into when they pursue a Christian home. So all these things that I that I try to do in my life is because of what I just explained to you that I want. This is the end result. Now, all of you can want that, and I hope you do want that, but I'm here to tell you, it's not just going to happen. You've got to sit down, you've got to make plans, and you've got to count the costs. It doesn't come for free. And hopefully, these messages will help you. So, uh, what are you getting yourself into when you pursue a Christian home? Because it's get, you know, we, we got, it's like we got spoiled when we got salvation for free. You know, we got salvation for free. You know, we just had to believe on Christ and he saved us and made us eternally secure. And then it's like now we think everything in life, all the blessings after salvation are just going to come for free if we just make a mental decision to claim that. But no, I'm telling you, these other things require work. They require effort. There's a lot of people that get saved and they never do anything with their salvation. You know what? They, they don't produce any fruit. They don't reproduce and they're very ineffective, and that's just not going to happen. You don't just decide one day, I want a Christian home. You just get your family saved, and that's the end of it. No, there's a lot more that you're going to have to do. So we all know this passage, Psalms 127, verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So a Christian home, first off, it requires having God as the head and not yourself. We've got too many people today who, unfortunately, they are, you know, the the men are the head of the home, and that works to a certain extent, but wait a minute, we're supposed to have a Christian home. That means Christ is actually supposed to be over you, men. That means not just, you know, you being the head of the home does not mean you just get your will or your will be done all the time. You're supposed to be submitting to the will of God. And you need to make him the head of your home. And so that means there's going to be things that you feel like doing sometimes, but you got to say, you know, what would the Lord have me do? That means there's going to be times when, and I'm just going to harp on this probably throughout this month, but I'm, I'm saying even things like church attendance. You might feel like, I feel like going fishing today. As the head of the home, I can make that decision. But you know what? If Christ is the head of your home, he wants you in the house of God. So who cares what you feel like doing today? All I earned it, I went out winning yesterday. So what? Okay, you need to be in church on Sunday. Amen. And that's what you do. These are things that you do when Christ is the head of your home. Well, I, I don't feel like the Lord wants that for me. I disagree. <laughs> I would I would disagree with you on that. I believe he wants us in his house. I mean, you've got to do what you feel like, or not what you feel like doing, but what the Lord wants you to do. You need to accept God's blueprint. He so said, accept the Lord, keep the city, the watch, and wake in vain. He goes on to say, It is vain for you to rise up early and sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So we need to understand if that house that God builds, that's the one that's going to give you success. That's the one where there's a great heritage. That's the one where you're receiving the rewards of God, where you're going to be the one in leadership, you're going to be the one speaking with the enemy in the gate, you have to accept God's blueprint. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of worldly philosophies out there today when it comes to raising families. You can't follow that. You have to follow God's word. You need to accept God's instruction in the building of that house. God has given instructions in his word. And you know what? There's going to be things in there you might not really care for, you might not really like. But wait a minute, I thought you said you wanted a Christian home. A Christian home requires doing things God's way. Any world, the worldly crowd, they're doing what they feel like doing. But they're getting what the world, the results of the world gets. We want something that lasts. We want something better. We want something that honors and glorifies God. And so God building the house does not mean you do nothing. It just means he's the foreman. Because we've got a lot of Christian people. They just kind of have this attitude, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord. You know, my kids are going to turn out good. I'm just going to trust. They always say they're going to trust the Lord, which is code for I'm going to do nothing. And listen, trusting the you know, if you trust your foreman when you're building a house, you know, and and I'm not a house builder, but when he's telling you to work on a certain thing and you go do it, it shows that one, you recognize his authority, but two, you understand what he's doing. Because there's a lot of times, too, I've helped work on buildings and things before and there's been all kinds of things that why we were doing it I didn't understand why we were doing it but you know I trusted the guy that was a builder and I just followed his instructions and then later I was like oh now I understand why we did those things this make this makes sense now there's a lot of boring parts to building things too there's a lot of monotonous work when you're doing stuff in the frame and or for the foundation that just you know you know, we all like the stuff that comes at the end, you know, when you're putting the siding and the finishing touches on it. But you have to do that other stuff first. If you don't do those things, those interior things, then your house is going to fall apart. And it's like everybody just wants to do those outward things, you know, that everyone can see, that everybody gets excited about. But there's a lot of prep work that goes into these things, and people are always wanting to skip these things. And a lot of people do. They just kind of have this attitude, you know, I'm just going to let the Lord make sure everything turns out right. But you got to understand the Lord wants you doing something. The Lord wants you training your children. The Lord wants you setting an example. He wants you, uh, you know, he wants you bringing them in the house of God. He wants you teaching them the ways of God. He wants you, you know, putting these, you know, rules and things in your home and following the word of God. God wants us doing all these things. It's not you just doing nothing. So all this stuff takes work. It all takes effort. And so a Christian home it also means you let decide you let God decide what happens to your home. Now this is a this is a tough thing for a lot of people to get a hold of. A lot of people they say I want a Christian home because they see someone out there who has what they want. You know, they have a long marriage, you know, they raise kids successfully, they have a lot of these things going for them. But a lot of times there's a lot of things that went into that that they did not see. And one thing we've got to understand, if the Lord is the builder of our home, if he is in charge of our home, then the Lord can do what he wants to do with our home. Now we, we, a lot of times we do, we say, I want God to be in charge of my home because we think that means everything will go according to my liking. That is not the case. Now, We're not going to go through this whole story, but how about Job? We talked about Job recently. Job, he had a great home. He followed God, and God chose to take it away. And God was allowed to do that because he is God. And you know what Job's attitude was in Job 1.20? He was sad when he lost his family. He was sad when he lost his possessions. But he said, then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He, he understood all these things that I just lost, God gave them to me. They're his. And you know what? God took them away. He said in chapter 2, verse 10, after Satan smites his body, he said uh, uh, his wife comes to him just saying, Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of the God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So Job, Job was like, we, we are not allowed to just take all the good and then not take the evil. We got to take it all. And I'm here today to tell you that if you surrender your home to God's will, he just might do some things with your home that you don't want him to do. He might do some things that you don't like. But you know what? You've got to be willing to take it. You've got to be willing to accept it. And let me tell you something. Some of the most godly people I have ever known are people who have suffered major tragedies in their families. They, but those ones who just continued serving God, they, they also greatly glorified God through their suffering. See, some of you want a good Christian home so you look good. It'd be easy for me as a pastor. I want you know, I want to have a good family because it'll make me look good and people will be more likely to listen to what I have to say. But actually, we're supposed to want to have a good home so we can glorify God. So we can point, pe- point more people to Jesus Christ. And so we shouldn't be using God to get what we want. But we should let God use us to get what He wants. And that's what a lot of people are doing When they decide, all right, I'm going to try this thing of being a Christian and having a Christian home. That's their attempt to figure out, how can I use God to get what I want? I want that good family. I want that big family. I want that rich family. I want all these things going for me. And so if I do these things in the Bible, God will give me what I want. And you know what? He might. But he also might want to take something away, too. God may want to have you go through some suffering Because God wants to be glorified through your suffering and through what he does in that situation I have no idea why God does the things that he does and the way he does them None of us do if we could figure all that out, we would be god, but we're not god and Job had no idea What was going on during that time, but you know what he did? He just trusted god And that's what you've got to do and that's part of having a christian home I wish I could just get up here and tell you folks you do this this and this I could give you a bunch of rules and I would be glad to give you some rules throughout the week that you should follow but let me tell you something, I can't promise you if you follow all those rules that everything's going to go be smooth sailing in your life. I can tell you you'll be in God's will. But folks, being in God's will sometimes means we go through some pretty rough waters. Some, you know, sometimes being through God's will means going through a fiery furnace. It means facing a giant. It means, you know, it means some pretty tough things that we see in the Bible. So we've got to make sure again, get this in your head, we shouldn't be using god to get what we want we should let god use us to get what he wants that has got to be our attitude and there are there's are some things that we know god wants we know god wants we, we know god wants us in church hebrews 10 24 and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works you want to know the main reason people are not faithful to church it's because they are thinking of themselves one of the main reasons I don't feel like church today. I don't need church today. Okay, you might that might be very true, but somebody needs you there. Somebody needs your help. That's why it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And folks, I'm here today to tell you I have never, I've never known a good successful Christian home where people were not faithful to church. Now, I have known many people who were the most hardcore when it came to dress standards, and I'm all for that. They were the most hardcore when it came to all the rules in their home. I mean, they you know they weren't allowed to watch nothing. They weren't allowed to do anything. I mean, fun was banned in that home. I'm, I'm telling you right now. But, you know, those, those people, there was a lot of these people, they were so focused on their family that they neglected church. And you know what? They always turn out the sorriest kids every single time. You know why? Because part of, part of church, one of the things church teaches us, it teaches us to think about other people. It teaches us to consider others. And a lot of these you know, ultra family-focused people, they don't think about anybody but their family. And you know what they do? They raise kids who only think about themselves. And then one of these days, and if that's your attitude where everything is just about what pleases you and your family, one of these days your kids are going to say, you know what, I'm not even that pleased by church. I'm not, you know what, I'm not that pleased by these rules. I am pleased by watching that movie. I am pleased by dressing this way, going and doing this thing or whatever. These things do bring me pleasure. Now, you know, you as a parent, you know, your pleasure was just being the most hardcore and everything, being the most strict people so you could look down your noses and everybody else. But understand, your kids might have pleasure somewhere else. Folks, this life is not about getting what pleases us. It gets, it's about getting what uh, us doing what pleases God. It's about doing things for other people, and you have got to get that attitude. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm probably saving this for another week. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I'm probably going to spend a week talking about some of just the massive problems that are more typically found in homeschool families. Okay? And folks, I'm 100% for homeschooling. But we got too many people think I'm a homeschooler. I'm a great family now. Listen, you know, with with anything you get right, your sin nature comes with it, and you can find a way to mess it up, and just turn it into garbage. And I, and I'm telling you, there's a reason a lot of IFB churches have been hostile to homeschoolers over the years, because there is a typical spirit and attitude that has often come with these people, that's caused a lot of problems in churches. And folks, I've, I've been around it a lot. I know what it is. I know where it comes from. And we're calling it out here because I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. And some of y'all are new to homeschooling, and I would hate to see you all turn into one of these people because they're not good people. Okay, and and we don't we don't want them here. And uh, there is there's there's a cost to homeschooling. Too many people, too, think, I'm just going to homeschool my kids. Well, you better have a plan for that. You better count the cost. You better believe there's a cost to that. And i um, so kind of getting ahead of myself. That's, I need to say that for another week. But God wants us serving others, especially the believers. That ultra you know, spiritual homeschool family that's too good for the church, and a lot of these people end up turning out to be too good for any church. You know, these people love doing things to serve others which is good to serve the lost but the one group you'll never see them serving being gracious and loving to are God's people. And I find that interesting because you know Galatians 6:10 says as we have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men, right? Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And you know it's so funny how you're able to do a good thing for a stranger who you're never going to see again. You know, which make and then, but you can't do good for people that you're going to see all the time. I'm, you know, you just hate them too much. I'm starting to think the only reason you're able to be good to that person you're never going to see again is because you're never going to see them again. And I think you just use that opportunity to give them five dollars so you can feel really good about yourself and tell yourself you care about people. I think you care about yourself. And I, I'm just here to tell you that you you are a, a selfish home. A self-centered attitude in a home is not a Christian home. That is not who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ was all about others. Jesus was all about sacrifice. So a Christian home, you've got to understand this too, it means your home isn't going to be like all other homes. Look what it says in 2 Peter 2.7, And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Notice that Lot, and folks, Lot is a horrible example of a believer. I mean, his story is a terrible story. But understand, just the fact that he was saved, it was something where there clearly was a distinction between him and the other people in that city. And understand that as many problems as Lot had, He wasn't near as bad as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. His soul was vexed by their unlawful deeds. And so while he was not the greatest example of a family man, God still put a distinction between him and everyone else. And folks, as believers, we are not going to fit in with this world. And we've got a whole generation of people that are rising up right now that are acting like victims because of the fact that they were not able to do what everyone else did growing up in their Christian homes. My parents didn't let me wear this. My parents didn't let me watch this movie. They didn't let me go to this place. We weren't allowed to do nothing. And they act like victims because of it. And they use it as an excuse to just kind of walk away from the things of God. But, you know, didn't anybody tell you, hey, part of being a Christian means we're different. You know, didn't anybody tell you that this world is all it you know they do the things they do because they are dead in their trespasses and sins you know that we've been called to flee youthful lusts. we've been called to follow after righteousness and faith and charity we've been called to do all these things you know and it's a lot of times you know the the, the problem with um you know just kind of having that self-centered attitude where your family is just your entire world and you kind of start leaving the church out of it, or you just kind of put it. You know, for a lot of people, church is just like one more thing we have to do when we feel like doing it. It's not It's not a real high priority in their life, and that's not a good thing either. But, uh, you know, at the, at the same time, it's the things of God that kind of puts everything in perspective. Because, again, we all understand that, you know, how we dress all these outward things that we do, you know, it's, it's what's in the heart that pleases God, right? But man can't see the heart, can they? They can only see the outward. We are trying to have a good testimony. We are trying to be different. We are trying to set boundaries in our life because we're trying to accomplish something for the cause of Christ. And sin prevents us from doing that. When we allow sin in our life, you know, you're still going to have your salvation, but you're not going to be fruitful. But folks, if we're not in the business of trying to bring forth fruit, if we're not doing anything to try to advance the gospel, if we're not doing anything to try to advance the work of the Lord, then really what's the point of all that stuff? You know, what is the point of living a certain way in your home? I mean, if you're not doing any of these other things, why not just fill your house with all the pleasure that your flesh could want? You know, it's, it's the house of God. It's the things of God that put all these things in a perspective. So you have to keep these things central in your life. And we do, we understand we have a bigger mission. There are much more important things in this life. There are much more important things that I can do with my life than be out fishing on my nice bass boat on Sunday. And you know what? I could probably afford a boat if I quit tithing, you know, and I would probably have time To go out on that boat more if I quit going to church. Now it wouldn't work for me because you guys would fire me, but you know it would work for a lot of you. You know, I mean, why why is it that we don't do most of the things we want to do? Time and money, right? Well, you know what? Throw church out, and you probably got a little more of both of those, right? But folks, I thought we chose to follow Christ. You know, this is part of. Living a christian life and so you know what yes we are going to do without some things i'm not saying you can't have those things and if you figure out a way you know to, to get the you know get some of those things you like to there's nothing wrong with that but i'm just here to tell you we, we got to get our priorities right and so many people they're so focused on what they can get for themselves you know they feel like they're missing out because they don't have all the things the world has the world's having more fun they're getting uh you know they're partaking in more pleasure and things of the flesh that you feel like too but you know what we understand there's much more important things we're trying to glorify God we're trying to win souls we're trying to make a difference and we're okay we don't fit in with this world it says in Hebrews 11:13 these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth these saints of the old testament they understood that, you know what, this world is temporary. Even back then before they had the New Testament, they understood this world is temporary. We're strangers and pilgrims. We don't really belong here. We're never going to have everything that the, you know, these other nations are going after. Let's just do what we can for Christ. Let's embrace these things that we can't see, these things that are eternal, these things that are promised. And, folks, we have been promised heavenly rewards. We've been promised treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust doth corrupt. But we're not going to physically get a hold of these things on this earth. But these are the things that we need to embrace. These are the things that we need to be living for every day. And if that's what you're living for, understand that you're going to be very different than the rest of this world. I think it's okay to try to make money. You know, jobs, money, all these things, these are just tools that we kind of have to use to get through this life, you know, as strangers and pilgrims. If you go and you visit another country, you know, you need to have things like passports and stuff, and there's things that you have to have so you can um, be allowed to do whatever you want to do in those countries. And you know what? If we're going to survive, you know, on this earth and in this country, there's things we got to do. Okay, you know, you need to work, we need to follow certain laws. You know, I don't I don't think it's wrong for you to get a driver's license and birth certificate and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's wrong for you to make money and use these things use these things, but you should look at them as just tools to help you get through this life. What you shouldn't do is devote your life to those tools. Where it's all about I just want to get as much of this as I can so I can give myself some pleasure. No, figure out how you can use those tools. For God's glory, and if you have the ability to make a lot of money, great. You know you can use that. You can use, that's more you can do for the cause of Christ too. But all, as long as your priorities are right, you know I think we can be balanced in these areas. It says in First Peter two eleven, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So again, he, Peter here mentions them being strangers and pilgrims. And so because we're strangers and pilgrims, he's telling them, you know what? Don't do the things that the Gentiles are doing. These things they war against the soul. These things are detrimental to your spiritual walk with Christ. And just remember, this isn't where we belong. This isn't all there is. You want to know why our world goes for the things it does? You want to know why a lot of people every Friday night just got to go and get drunk? Because in their mind, this is all there is. And any bit of pleasure they can get for their flesh while they are going through their day-to-day life, they're going to do it. Because in their mind, this is all there is. I witnessed to a guy last year at one of the apartments in Dixon. Who, you know, He works for like two weeks straight uh, out on a barge, and then he has like a week off. And pretty much this guy's life is just working nonstop stuff for two weeks, and then he come, comes home to his apartment and just drinks all week. There were beer cans all over the place. And he was being real nice and receptive, but there was no getting this guy saved. He was just a little too drunk. And it, it was just sad. I was like, this is this guy's existence when he's not working. And you know what? He's enjoying himself sitting there drunk watching TV. He feels pretty good. He's getting a buzz from all that drinking and everything that he's doing. But folks, there is so much more than that. And we need to understand too, there's so much more than just the you know, the ball games and you know, the entertainment centers and movies and All these things that everybody just gets all excited about. You know, you've got these, you know, Michael Jordans and their $80 million yachts and stuff like that. Hey, listen, I look at some of that stuff and think, man, you know, that would be kind of nice. But you know what? There's actually a lot more important things than even that. Those eternal rewards are a lot better than things like that. And so we've got to understand that, you know what? We don't belong here. And not only do we need to. Stay against, away from these things that har, are harmful to the soul. We need to have a good testimony among the Gentiles, amongst the lost, so we can win more people to Christ. And so a lot of people, they do, they want all the benefits of following Christ without actually following Christ. They think, well, I'm saved. I get all this. No. There's some things you don't get unless you're a disciple of Christ, unless you're a follower of Christ. They often mis- often mistake of thinking Christians have joy or Christians are joyful because everything's going perfect in their life. And I wish people could figure that out, that joy, happiness, contentment is not about circumstances. All right, let me just say that again. It's not about circumstances. If you don't have contentment right now, it is not because of your circumstances. If you are not content right now, in your mind, you've told yourself, well, everything would be fine if we just had, didn't have this problem, we didn't have that problem wrong. If you're not content now, you're not going to be content no matter what. Because contentment, it is it's, that's a hard thing. It's not a circumstance thing. And the apostle Paul, he said, "I've learned whatsoever state I am there with to be content. I know both how to be abased, how to abound." Paul was able to be content even in prison. And where if when you're not able to be content in America with all the stuff that we've got, it's cuz you have a heart problem. Okay? And and you're sort you will always have something in your life that will take away contentment if you allow it to do that. You just have, you have to get over it. The truth is, though, joy does not come from circumstances. It comes from God, and God gives it to those who serve him. And often, those people end up having some great conflicts and tragedies in their life, but you know what? You just can't tell. You, you can't tell. People often try serving God, and then as soon as God needs them to face a challenge, they give up. Because a disciple, being a disciple, is sometimes very difficult. But folks, it's always worth it. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what are we going to have in the kingdom? We've forsaken all. And Jesus, I, I'm not going to be able to quote the passage exactly, but he basically said, you know, you're going to get a hundredfold. You know, he's gonna, he's going to pay you back. You serve him on this earth, he's going to pay you back in his kingdom. But on this earth, you might go through some stuff, and you know what? Just remember, it's worth it. It's okay. And if you see somebody that just seems blessed and it seems like they have everything that you want, I'll I'll tell you right now, their joy is not because of their circumstances either. They've just found it. They, They found it in Christ, and you can have it too because it's not about circumstances. And so I hope you all do this. I hope everybody wants a Christian home but I hope you'll consider the cost because I'm I'm tired of seeing people try and then giving up as soon as there's a challenge. Who said there wasn't going to be a challenge? You better believe there's going to be a challenge, but it's always worth it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word and the instruction and help it gives. I pray you'll help everyone in here, Lord, to take this uh, idea and this attitude of, of having a Christian home seriously. I pray that they will consider the cost and that they, you will help them to be successful in their endeavor. And pray a blessed service coming up in the next hour. In your name we pray.